Welcome to Trailblazing Entrepreneurs, the new podcast series from Salesforce App Exchange. In this series, we chat to world-class entrepreneurs and founders and explore the journey as well as share practical insights to build successful businesses. I'm your host, Sandra Peño, Director of the ISV Business at Salesforce, and in today's episode, I'm joined by David Schmeier. David is the CEO of Salesforce Industry, responsible for Salesforce Industry Cloud and Strategy, David is also the former CEO and founders of Velocity. So hi, David. How are you today? Sandra, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me on your program. Oh, you're very welcome. I've been looking forward to this one. So you won the Forbes Cloud 100 three times. What do you attribute your success to, David? At Velocity, we built the fastest growing company ever built on the Salesforce platform out of 5,000 companies. And it's really a testament to our people. This is a team sport. And so it's all about having a real A team of employees that are all committed to our vision. And our vision was to help companies transform their industry. And Salesforce, the customer 360, allows people to better connect with their customers. But what we do is take that to the next level. Think of this as cloud 2.0, where it comes out of the box tailored to their industry. And so... You know, it's really a testament, this growth to the hard work and the inspiration and the focus of our teams. And then, you know, second, the unmet need in the marketplace that people really want industry specific capabilities. Customers really need these industry specific capabilities. And now with the global pandemic, digital transformation has never been more important. And so what we allow is the fastest path to digital transformation. That's really interesting. You mentioned two really big topics here. You talked about people and then you talked about taking, you know, an industry play. So just maybe on the last one on the industry side of the house, did you always know that recipe? Did you know it before you started that that was the path to go into to build a successful businesses? Or did you sort of discover some sort of new ingredients as you went along? No, Sandra, I knew this from my prior experience. So I've seen the movie before. Um, I've been working in what we call the CRM industry for over three decades. So I've been doing this a long, long time. I'm dating myself, I know, but I'm really passionate about what we call CRM. And I'm really passionate about helping companies better connect with their customers. And so I worked at a prior company, a pioneer called, I helped found a company called Siebel Systems. When I started, the worldwide market for CRM software was $50 million globally. And today, Gartner Group says it's a $30 billion industry. So we thought it was a good idea, but it turned out to be a great idea, even better than we thought. And, uh, and one of the things we learned along the way in that prior company was that the way companies worked and interacted with their customers was different by industry. So I was uh, fortunate to have figured this out in a prior life. I'm always interested to hear about uh, successful entrepreneurs and their daily habits and their routine. And, you know, we all read about sort of uh, Jack Dorsey from Twitter that has some really peculiar, you know, lifestyle habit of, I don't know, intermittent fasting and ice bath and sauna and, and meditation. So, so I guess the question is, do you have any of those peculiar habits? But more importantly, what does your typical day look like, David? No, Sandra, it's a great question. I think I'm a little less peculiar than uh, the CEO you mentioned. <laughs> Uh, but it's actually fascinating to hear about these other people's lifestyles. I'm an early riser, so I wake up very early. Like yesterday, I was up at 4 a.m. Uh, today, I was up at 5.30. 
And I do that because I love to exercise. And so I'm a big kind of health fanatic. I don't take ice baths, but I do believe in fitness and I do believe in eating organic food and uh, having a healthy diet. And uh, I'm a big believer in sound mind, sound body. You know, this business is so fast moving and I love it. I kind of live on the adrenaline of it. I love to build software and I love to build companies is really my passion. And so this has been an amazing, you know, three decades and more of building software and building companies. But you also have to keep yourself sane and you also have to keep yourself fit in order to be able to keep doing it. So it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And uh, my favorite Internet of Things device is my Peloton. Yeah. So I love the Peloton. It's like a great, great product. That's one of the ones that I'm passionate about is, a, is an example of where technology and fitness come together. That is really, really funny because uh, as it happens, I've been toying with the idea of a Peloton. So I'm actually pick up your brain about how you use it and things. And um, you mentioned about, you know, trying to find the right balance between work and, and investing in yourself and remaining fit to, you know, sound mind, sound body. Did the pandemic change a little bit what you do? Did it reinforce it? Did it change it? Any, any new things? you've learned? Well, well I, I also, uh, the two things I love to do outside of work are uh, stay healthy and spend time with my family. And I have uh, two kids who are in college and my wife I met in the software business way, way back, you know, 30 plus years ago. And what's been great about this global pandemic is every night is like Sunday dinner at the house. <laughs> and because, you know, everyone was home, including the college kids, because they're all doing their schoolwork remotely. And so that was really great. It was like having them back in high school and uh, I would work all day, you know, work out in the morning and then be on Zoom calls from seven in the morning till seven o'clock at night. But then you could have a nice dinner with your family. You know, maybe one of the, the occupational hazards of the software business is, you know, going to see the customers. And I love to see them in person and I love to hear about their journeys and explain to them how we can help transform their companies. But that means a lot of travel. And yeah. so the nice thing about the pandemic is there's been a lot less of that. And so I can do all the great parts that I love in the software business without having to live off on United Airlines. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, the pandemic for many people has been the opportunity to refocus on what's important and rediscover or discover net new habits. And uh, it's been a time of reflection, I think, for many people. And I think uh, I've heard many people very successful people like yourself, actually, that emphasis on family has been really key for them and one of probably the, the highest benefit of sort of the uh, the new world that we're living in. And talking about the new world, you know, at Salesforce, we had a, a leadership conference a couple of weeks ago and they were talking about, we had a couple of very interesting guest speakers, but they were talking about the emergence of this modern organization, you know, where there is a lot more focus on what they call the network of teams rather than what the organization chart would say. And that means a, you know, a highly collaborative world, workplace, you know, individual in different parts of the world, but also allowing them to take risk and be experimental. So that got me to think about the question for you, which is what risk did you take, you know, when you think about velocity, you know, can you point a peer to say, actually, I took a big risk here and you paid off? Yeah, I think I always tell my children, you want to take risks in life, but you want to take smart risks. You want to take calculated risks. There's a risk reward equation in life. And as an entrepreneur, you have to be comfortable with risk and you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. You know, I would say maybe with velocity, the main risk I, I had is 
I had been involved in several really successful software companies in my career, uh, Oracle, and uh, in the early days when it was about a $200 million company, and then helped co-found this company, Siebel Systems. And then I saw this unmet need. Uh, some former uh, Oracle and Siebel colleagues of mine had founded a company called Viva Systems, which is the biggest company ever built on the Salesforce platform. It's a public company worth about $40 billion dollars. And they're the world's leader in life sciences, cloud software. And so I watched what they were doing and it occurred to me that there should be a Viva for every industry. There should be one for banking. There should be one for the telecom industry. There should be one for media. There should be one for the government. And so that was the inspiration. I went to my very first Dreamforce in the year 2013 And I saw all these people that I had known for decades in the software business and the CRM software business. And I was amazed by the size and scale of Dreamforce. It's just how big it had become and how successful Salesforce was and how happy the customers were. It was really like almost like a, a religious experience. But then I went to the Cloud Expo and what I saw was 17 CPQ systems and CTI middleware and proposal generators, everything you could think of to add on to Salesforce. And yet there were no verticals, none. And I knew very well of this company, Viva. So I think back then there were 2,800 companies built on the platform. Now there's about 5,000. Uh, so more have been built. But if there's 2,799 that are horizontal software companies and one, that's the biggest one ever built. And the only one at that time to go public, now there's two that have gone public, both in industries, by the way. You don't need a PhD in computer science to figure out maybe, hey, this is a real opportunity. So, you know, I had to say to myself, this is such a great opportunity. I had been kind of an investor and a board member, and I helped a private equity company start their software business. So I was more working with multiple companies versus working for one And I had to decide that this was such a big opportunity that it was something I was really passionate about doing myself. So the, the risk was to dive back in and the risk was, hey, do I still know how to do this stuff? And the answer is it hasn't changed as much as you might think. I mean, the software is different with the cloud and social, but it's still the CRM software business and people still want industry specific capabilities. And maybe the way that you deliver that's different, but it's, uh, hasn't changed as much as people think. So, uh, and I would have to say that the experience founding Velocity and partnering with Salesforce has been the best experience of my career. I mean, it's really been phenomenal. We built a great team. We're really proud of the customers that we work with. They're super happy and thrilled with our partnership. And now it's as uh, in June of this year, we became part of Salesforce. The company was acquired. And now I'm running something called Salesforce Industries, which is a division within Salesforce of all the industry clouds, both Velocity and those that were organically built. And it's a dream job. It's really exciting what we're doing. It's, a, it's one of the fastest growing parts of Salesforce. And it allows me to still be an entrepreneur within the great company and the great value system that Salesforce has created. Yeah, and I think um, you hit in the on the head here, I think there is trying to find those sort of common ingredients and be able to replicate it, but having that faith in yourself that you talked about, you know, and you talk about the um, the Salesforce acquisition earlier this, this year, you know, how did you prepare yourself for, for the acquisition? And you may have gone through acquisitions before, but, you know, if you were to advise some sort of entrepreneurs out there in terms of, you know, you've been really successful and, and someone is going to buy you, 
what would you say the kind of two or three things to prepare yourself for that term would make a difference between a successful acquisition and a, and a non-successful acquisition? Sure. Yeah, I think it's a great question, Sandra. I mean, to all the fellow entrepreneurs out there, I think the most important thing is to build a great business. I think sometimes people focus on the outcome too much and the exit. And I think if you do that, you never build a great company. So I think of building a company in four or five different stages. I mean, first, you need that core team of people that are like-minded. It all starts with, you know, a group of four, five, six, ten people who really want to change the world and are really passionate about doing something. That's step one. Then step two is really having a core company strategy and product strategy to build your initial product. You know, in the software business, it's hard to have a software company without software. So it all starts with building a product. First, it's having a product. Second, it's having a product that's really compelling. So it's usually not your version one doesn't always typically have everything that you want in it. And then from having a, a like-minded team and then to having a product, then I think it's critical to have your first customer. And that's a watershed event to have a, a first customer. And so what's the hardest customer to close when you found a company? It's your first customer. What's your second hardest one to close? It's your second customer and so forth. And so, but it gets easier and easier. The next step is, can you make those first few customers successful? Like, can you get them to be, you know, incredible references for you so that when you start trying to rinse and repeat, which is the final part of the process and scale your business, that you've got those references and you've learned how to make this all repeatable. You know, I think that's what you have to focus on as an entrepreneur, not the exit. And I think if you focus on the valuation and how much the company's going to be worth and how much money you'll make and all that stuff, I think you're going to lose your way. I think if you focus on doing something great and you're passionate about what you're doing, you know, the money will follow and uh, the outcomes will follow. And then you don't really know what's going to happen in the, the markets as well. You don't know if you're going to be acquired or you're going to go public. Uh, and I've been fortunate to have been able to do both of those things before. I think when you start something, you know, it's, you know, used to, they used to say it's seven years minimum to get a company to the point where it's going public. You know, we built Velocity in six years and it was acquired, but we were kind of on the precipice of where we could have gone public. These companies are, you can build them faster than you used to be able to build them just because there's great platforms like Salesforce and uh, other technology platforms you can build upon, which accelerates the whole process, which is very exciting that some of these businesses are built, can be built very quickly. But still, it's, it's at a minimum several years out. So it's hard to predict the future of what's going to the future is going to be like. I mean, look at what's going on today in the world that shows you that, you know, sometimes unexpected things happen. During the uh, first season, I think, you know, there was a couple of common themes that sort of coming back here, which is that focus on the now. And I think that the element of distraction you just mentioned is so important because, you know, you know, preparing for exit is so different for preparing for growth, isn't it? You have to sort of finance yourself in a different way. You may not have the right people. The people you have today may not be the one you need later on. This is really critical advice, I think, uh, David. And I think uh, I love those steps, the very sort of clear steps, you know, going from an idea to a successful business. And I think, you know, for me, this is um, probably one of the most sort of valuable advice. The, the one other thought um, that I had on creating these companies is you really have to begin with the end in mind. You have to kind of visualize what it is you're trying to do. 
and then figure out how to do it. But the fun and the, the glory and the passion is being in the middle of it and the act of creation, in my opinion. So I think a lot of times people focus too much on the exit and not the process and the process. I think entrepreneurship is amazing and super exciting. And then I would also say that Salesforce really gives you, you know, an incredible platform to do this faster than it otherwise would happen on your own. Yeah, journey of a thousand step, that's what they typically talk about. But I think one of the things you talked about earlier is you know, that first customer is the hardest customer to have. And we've had entrepreneurs before talking about how they, um, you know, there was a, an epic failure in terms of their first pitch and, you know, it was kind of a bit disastrous. So, um, and I think most people probably uh, don't really focus on, you know, thinking back about some of their failures for many reasons, you know, showing weakness or not wanting to dwell on it. But yet there's so much to learn from from epic failures, as I call them. What would you say your most epic failure was, David? You know, this was a real case study in coming up with a plan. And then really everything went to plan. <laughs> and, you know, my investors, you know, Salesforce was my biggest outside investor. And then I had another company, Sutter Hill Ventures, that's, which is a top tier venture capitalist on Sand Hill Road. They were amazed saying, you know, most entrepreneurs come up with a plan and then they do half of the plan. And, you know, we matter exceeded our plan every quarter. And so I think some of it was, we kind of knew we've done this before. So a lot of times people don't know what they don't know, but we've seen the movie before. So we really, you know, not that we're perfect, but we just understood, you know, we made a lot of mistakes uh, at, you do in any company, but we kind of knew what the pitfalls were. So I would say the only, you know, failures were maybe in the early days, there was a few deals that we lost that we wanted to win. And I used that as inspiration to further motivate my team, which was already pretty darn motivated. And so we came up with a, a saying at Velocity, which was there's winning and there's delayed winning. And our view was for each, each of our six industries, we had the best software bar none, but we lost a couple early deals because we were small and unproven. And they're like, gee, we're gonna bet our whole company, Sandra, on you guys. How, how do we know you, you could really do it? And we had a focus where we're just going to hang around and keep talking to them and we're not going away. And I would say almost every single one of those, we ended up winning. It was just a year or two later. So there's winning and there's delayed winning. There was never losing. Oh, I love that. And I think that's a great attitude to have as an entrepreneur. You got to use those, you know, intermittent defeats to propel you to greater glory. Was it hard on you? Was it, you talk about it was really motivational. Was there anything, um, you know, when you think back about, you know, I wish I've done something different? You know, it really was a fairy tale story. We started the company. We had an idea. We, you know, we built exactly what we set out to do. In many ways, we exceeded our expectations. You know, maybe the only, um, you know, issues were those early losses. So I hate to lose. You know, everybody does. Like winning's a lot more fun than losing. But those just inspired me. I, you know, maybe the other thing I would say is when we founded Velocity, there was a little bit of a, a feeling by some in the whole ecosystem that, you know, hey, do I really need industries? Like the Salesforce platform is so easy to customize. You know, I can add a couple fields and change a couple labels. And, you know, what's the big deal? And we had to double down and just say, you know what, we know we're right. 
we know digital transformation is different by industry. And so that inspired me more too, when people, you know, there's always naysayers for any kind of idea that you have. And there's always going to be people that just are like doubting the premise. And I was lucky I had done this before. I had built 24 vertical products in 20 languages that we would ship on the same day. So I knew customers wanted this. So I knew with 100% certainty, not even 99% certainty that people wanted this, which I think is probably unusual for an entrepreneur. A lot of times if you're building some new AI technology or something that's never been built before, you're not sure that people really want this. I knew people wanted this. And so when I would see the naysayers, it would just be further fuel to the fire for me to say, hey, we're just going to prove them wrong. And I'm sure this was what Mark and Parker thought when they founded Salesforce with the whole idea of the cloud itself. I mean, I remember when this happened, you know, it wasn't even called the cloud then, but nobody really believed, you know, a lot of people believed it wouldn't work. And if you look at Salesforce now, I think it worked pretty darn well. So they had conviction and we had conviction at Velocity about what we call the industry cloud. The Viva folks had conviction. And if you're starting a company as a new entrepreneur, you got to have conviction that what you're doing, A, is important to the world. I think that's the other thing I think is, is inspiring your employees with purpose. We're, we're in a new purpose-driven world that's very different from when I started uh, and the, the new generations of people, I, I applaud them because I think that's exactly right. It, it, to work this hard, it's not easy to build companies. You got to have a purpose and a mission, but then you got to have conviction that you're going to prove that it really is as valuable as you think it is. Yeah, I think so. I mean, some of the themes, again, that came about, you know, which, you, you, you know, you, you kind of really brought up again to the surface is that element of faith, you know, faith in yourself, faith in your product element of marathon you know that it's a really long game and you know you need to be able to sustain the, the high and the lows but also keeping yourself motivated and you know i think you were lucky like you said to be able to sort of have done this before and have you know found a, a, a recipe that obviously works but if you were maybe someone that was starting out and probably didn't have that element of uh, hindsight having done it before where would you go david to sort of either get your ID validated, but also continue to motivate yourself? What would you be your advice to some of our listeners? Sure. I, I, it's a great question. And if I didn't have that experience, I think it's really important to have mentors. I think this entrepreneurship process and particularly high tech and software entrepreneurship, there's kind of a master apprentice thing that really goes on. Like I was lucky that I was an engineer and I went to Harvard Business School and I wanted to go to the fastest growing software company in the world, which at the time in the late 80s was a company. I went to the Harvard Library and looked up this before the internet. What are the top 10 fastest growing companies? And there was some company called Oracle that was about a $200 million company. I was able to get an interview with them and ended up getting hired there on the spot and then moved out to Northern California from the East Coast and uh, got a job there. And that's kind of really where I learned the ropes of the software business. I worked there with Mark Benioff, who went on to found Salesforce. I met Tom Siebel there, who I went on to found uh, Siebel Systems with. And I just saw Mark on CNBC saying that he thinks of Larry Ellison as his mentor. You know, I think of Tom Siebel as my mentor. There really is a lot to be learned by pe from people who've done it before. And so if you don't have this kind of experience or this kind of background, I would encourage you to find it. 
you know, there's a community of people who might want to be board members or advisors or investors, and there really are lessons learned. I mean, there are some smart people who can come out of college or even quit college and just magically figure this all out. That's kind of the Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg story. I think there's not many of those. I think those are the few, and you don't hear about the thousands or millions of people who tried to do just make it up that fail. And so I think your odds go way up if you have a mentor who knows what they're doing, who can really teach you and help you and guide you and counsel you. And so I think mentorship's super important when it comes to entrepreneurship. So if you don't have the background or you don't have the network, you don't have the knowledge, I would encourage you to find it. No, that's awesome. And I think we all need to find that person that we that resonates both, I think, from our the day-to-day, you know, business perspective, but also sort of alignment to the core values. And I think you just uh, talked about that uh, a little bit. Um, I think um, a la- final question, David, for you in terms of, you know, what would be the, the number one tip to our listener out there thinking about sort of building a business or growing the business as an entrepreneur? I think it's all about the team. So I think it's, it, there's, a, there's a great book to read called Good to Great, which is more about big companies than entrepreneurship. But I apply that to entrepreneurship, which is it's all about getting the right people on the bus, not the strategy, but getting the right people on the bus and then figuring out where you want to drive the bus. That's the key to the whole thing. I think a lot of people get enamored with having the perfect idea and kind of can't figure out like they kind of ideate and ideate and ideate and never get it going. I think it's more of. You know, we did have an idea at Velocity. The key was getting the like-minded people who really wanted to do it and make it happen and would be dedicated to that vision. And the other thing about like-minded folks is you need a, a team. So if you have like a basketball team, you need guards and forwards and scorers and defensive people in a center to get rebounds. So in a software company, you need engineers, you need product people, you need marketing people, you need salespeople. So you need a well-rounded team. But that core team is the key to the whole thing, in my opinion. And if you have that core team and you're all passionate about it, then you'll figure out where to drive the bus and you'll be successful. David, thank you so, so much for chatting with us today. Thank you for joining us for episode one of our second series. If you have any questions or topic you want to hear more about, tweet us at AppExchange. I'll be back soon with some more insights from founders. So make sure you subscribe to your favorite podcast app. In the meantime, goodbye.